the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. From every mountainside, let freedom ring, and if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. So let freedom ring. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob Franz. All righty then, are you ready? It's 10 minutes after the hour of 9 o'clock, and we're underway on this free for all Friday! <laughs> ready to go. Ready to get into the weekend. we got a lot of work to do before the weekend starts, however. And uh, we're going to do it. We're going to put in the work today. I hope you are part of this, whether it's uh, absorbing or contributing. Either way, this is important for you to be here today. It's the fifth morning of the fifth month of the year year of our Lord, 2023. I think that makes it Cinco de Mayo, but I don't speak, speak Spanish, so I can't say for sure. Uh, but if that's what it is, then enjoy it. It's also the day before the Kentucky, uh, Kentucky Derby. I don't do horse racing either, so I don't have much for you on those things. What I do have for you is a great uh, lineup of guests today. Coming up in less than a half an hour, Ohio Senator uh, J.D. Vance will be with us. And, of course, by that I mean U.S. Senator from our great state of Ohio, J.D. Vance, not Ohio Senate. Uh, we're going to talk about the end of Title 42 and what it's going to mean to this country in all ways. The massive crush at our border that we have already seen in two and a half years of Brandonism is about to get far, far, far worse starting on Wednesday. And we're going to talk to J.D. Vance about that, uh, among other things. He is also 
uh, staying very, very close to the situation in East Palestine. Uh, there is a major, major development there, and we're going to talk to J.D. Vance about that as the residents there just continue to get hit again and again and again uh, with things that they should not. And we'll talk to him about that. That's coming up at uh, 9.35, so not far from now. At 10.10 this morning, Jonathan Broadbent will be back with us. Jonathan is uh, one of the leaders at Protect Ohio Children North. And uh, we're going to talk about the ongoing attack on our school children. Really, it's just an ongoing attack on all kids, but it is being done from within our schools. There is a, a devoted effort here into um, uh, indoctrinating them and, quite frankly, brainwashing them into things that are not real. And uh, Jonathan Broadbent and uh, his team and others, along with Ohio Value Voters and more, are pushing back very, very hard against that. So we're going to talk to Jonathan at 1010. And then at 1110, it's almost like we're going back to the um, pre-primary last spring uh, before we had the Senate primaries. Because uh, back then I used to have people like J.D. Vance and Bernie Moreno on on the same day because they were both running for the same office. Uh, in the primaries, or for the same nomination anyway. But today it's a little different, as J.D. Vance is already a senator, and now Bernie Moreno wants to become one. That's right, he is running against Sherrod Brown, or at least he's running in the Republican primary against Matt Dolan, and who knows if there will be others. But uh, Bernie Moreno's coming on. He put out a very strong statement yesterday about uh, Title 42 and the immigration crush to come, and uh, I thought it would be great to talk to him about that. So that's coming up. So J.D. Vance... Um, Jonathan Broadbent and Bernie Moreno are our guests today. And, of course, as I always tell you, my most important guest is you. When you are so inspired to call, uh, I will take those calls and those thoughts on a free-for-all Friday at 216-901-0945 or 888-281-1110. Now, before we do anything else, what do you say we rise as the patriots that we are? Face your flag, put your hand on your heart, and join us for a pledge of our Pledge of Allegiance. If you do not believe that the American sovereignty and the American border matters, well, then you obviously don't believe in America. And if you don't believe in America, you are exempted from the request to pledge your allegiance to the flag that represents her. You may, instead of standing and pledging, take a knee over there next to that unemployed quarterback. For the rest of us, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands one nation under god indivisible with liberty and justice for all so i want to start actually this morning um with the case in new york the subway death and you're probably thinking to yourself which which subway death aren't there a lot of subway deaths in new york and the answer is yeah But this one actually is getting some press. Why? Why didn't the other 26 subway deaths since 2020 in New York City get any press coverage? Why is it just a quick blurb on the news? Somebody shoved uh, uh, somebody else off of the platform and in front of a subway train. Somebody stabbed somebody on the subway uh, uh, platform. I mean, why are these all the other deaths just glossed over, but this particular subway death is getting all kinds of press attention? And the answer to the question is race. It is always about race. Jordan Neely is a criminal, a longtime, lifetime criminal, who apparently has mental health issues, which does not, repeat, does not excuse him for criminal behavior. But this is a habitual, um, violent criminal 
who had been arrested over 40 times in his life prior to his getting on the subway a couple of days ago and menacing and stalking and getting up in the faces of very, very alarmed and frightened passengers threatening to harm them, saying, I'll go back to jail, I don't care, and many other things. His behavior was so aggressive, people thought they were about to be attacked, so one man stood up, joined quickly by two others, and said, we're going to stop this crime before this crime is committed, and this individual happens to be a United States Marine. And this Marine came up behind Jordan Neely and put him in a headlock slash chokehold and took him to the ground and held him there. He was joined by two other individuals. So where's the race aspect? You know this. Jordan Neely is African American. The Marine is white. And that's all the media thinks you need to know. That's it. A Marine, a white Marine, held a black man down in a chokehold that looked like what AOC, or I call her ADC, Alexandria Damasio-Cortez, what she called looked like a lynching because he was being choked. The Marine held him down for about 15 minutes, and that's all the media wants you to know. They don't want you to know about the two other individuals who helped subdue and hold him in that place until that subway could stop. One of them was African American. No, this wasn't black or white white uh, 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 killer on innocent black uh, subject. Not at all. This was Marine sees people in very very severe danger, acts along with others to subdue threat. That's how the story should read, but instead the story reads, White Marine attacks black subway rider with mental illness and murders him. That's literally what ADC wants you to believe. ADC, Alexandria Damasio-Cortez, tweeted, Jordan Neely was murdered. People experiencing homelessness, mental illness, hunger and frustration need and deserve compassion, not force. (laughs) Wait, what? Um, no, uh, people who are menacing and trying to attack people on a subway don't deserve compassion. Uh, nobody's asking them, are you hungry? Nobody's asking him, are you frustrated? Nobody's asking him, how's your mental state of mind? People are in self-defense mode, and that's exactly where they are. Uh, a popular subway blog asks, does the mayor, governor, or any high-ranking MTA official plan to say anything about Jordan Neely's killing today? Jordan Neely was not killed. Jordan Neely died as he was being restrained by somebody who was trying to stop him from harming other people. But the question becomes, what about the other 26? The New York Post asked that question this morning. Where were the progressives when, I'm sorry, 27 others, there were 28 total now with Neely since 2020. What about the the other 27 people killed? Why is this one the only one that matters? Just in April, last month, an attacker killed an 18-year-old named Isaiah Colazzo aboard a Brooklyn train after Colazzo's friend pulled the emergency brake. No one said a word. No one said a word. You didn't hear that name. You don't know that name. I could sit here and read story after story after story, and you'll never come to stories about the killings of 27 people, 28 people on New York City subways, unless there is a racial component to it. In this case, as the New York Post writes, Neely was black, the alleged perpetrator, alleged perpetrator, 
He's not a perpetrator. He was a good Samaritan stepping in to protect people. But um, he's black, and the, and the uh, individual who held him down is white. After the illegally armed man, oh, I'm sorry, uh, and they're, they're, oh, yeah, progressives are call, all screaming and calling him Bernie Getz now. After the uh, uh, illegally armed man has shot and wounded four people who were menacing him on the subway way back in 1984, you probably remember that. Here's Eric Adams, the African-American mayor of New York City, talking about the shooting of, or excuse me, the, um, uh, the death of Jordan Neely in this, in, in this encounter. Question of vigilantism. Mm-hmm. What do, you know, what, what do passengers do in situations like that? Is it appropriate to take matters into your own hands? Uh, Each situation is different. And how a passenger, uh, we have so many cases where passengers assist of of the riders, uh, and we don't know exactly what happened here until the investigation is thorough. And each situation is different. I was a former transit police officer, and I responded to many jobs where you had a passenger assisted someone. And so we cannot just blankly say, blankly say what a passenger should or should not do in a situation like that. We should allow the investigation to take its course. That's actually a reasonable position by the mayor of New York. Um, as, again, a former transit officer, he knows how dangerous subways can be. We are talking about enclosed areas, not outside areas where one can flee. When one has the opportunity, and of course, when we kind of when it comes to stand your ground laws, you don't have to flee anyway. But if you did want to get away from the situation where somebody is menacing and somebody is threatening and saying, "I'll hurt anybody on this train," which is what he was heard to be screaming, "I'll go back to jail. I don't care." Um, and and you're in an enclosed space like a subway, you cannot escape. So it is either protect and defend. Or it is become a victim, become another one of the victims uh, on that list. We'll make it added up to twenty eight with a with a passenger instead of the perpetrator. But now the question is, how is this going to play out? Because they have already started marching, protests marching through the streets of Brooklyn last night, and they are expected to continue today. What are they screaming? The same thing they always scream: no justice, no peace. What I'm trying to say here is that I think. That three years later, the left has found themselves their new George Floyd. That's what they've done here. George Floyd was a career criminal with an arrest record longer than your arm, with a history of severe violence, uh, and he got himself all fentanyled up and all methamphetamined up. And then, uh, uh, of course, uh, we know what happened when he was uh, questioned by police and then was taken to the ground. And then, of course, uh, Derek Chauvin kneeled on him for obviously way, way too long. And we know how that ended up. Uh, And regardless of how you feel about that, that was a movement that happened that summer. First of all, the violence, the literally a couple of billions of of dollars, uh, hundreds of people injured, police officers injured, some of them killed in the George Floyd violence, the George Floyd riots. But it also led to this massive BLM expansive movement where, oh, my gosh, look at what is happening to black people in the streets. Look at what is happening. And it's been a little quiet since then. Here's their new movement. They see Jordan Neely, a homeless, mentally disturbed man with a violent record that nobody knew about, though, when they did this, who was choked out by the new Derek Chauvin. That is how they're going to try to play this. That's where the protests are coming in. Sadly, the weekend is here. It's Friday. Lord only knows how late into the night it's going to go and how bad it is going to get. We will cross our fingers and say our prayers that it does not get uh, uh, out of hand. Meantime, what about the Marine? The Marine who has not yet been named was questioned by police and released. 
However, according to multiple legal experts, he could be in some hot water. Because even though he was acting as a good Samaritan to try to stop somebody from harming other people, if he held him down as long as he did for 15 minutes, that might be considered to be excessive. That force is allowed to be used until someone is no longer a threat. If they're no longer a threat, then the force has to be reduced, and that he may not have reduced it in time. Guess who gets to make the decision? Guess who gets to decide whether or not this white Marine is charged or indicted for the death of Jordan Neely? You guessed it, overstuffed Alvin Bragg. What do you think Alvin Bragg is going to do? This is the same man who sent a victim in a bodega, a bodega owner who was attacked in his shop and killed the attacker in self-defense. He sent the, uh, uh, the, the owner to, uh, to Rikers Island. He was going to charge him. It took him, I think, a couple of months before he finally decided there would be no charges. As the rest of America screamed at this idiot for daring to defend and support killers and attackers and not victims. And to lock victims up at Rikers. You remember the story, right? Yeah. Well, that same guy, that same arbiter of justice, overstuffed Alvin Bragg. The same one who was spending all of his time trying to uh, convict Donald Trump. Uh, that's the one that gets to make the call here. So all I'm saying is brace yourself. The left seems to have, to have found their new George Floyd and whether or not they're able to run with it and uh, make this uh, you know make this the next galvanizing movement among the quote unquote oppressed African American community in this systemically racist society. Only time will tell. We're gonna take a time out here now it's 926. Clear the decks because we're gonna talk to, um, J.D. Vance, Senator J.D. Vance, next on Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. Keeping you informed among the uninformed. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. Onward now, we roll. It is 934. Thank you so much for being with us. And thank you to Senator J.D. Vance for joining us now here on AM 1420, The Answer. Senator, good morning. How are you, sir? Good, Bob. How you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. I appreciate you taking the time. So um, I started the week talking about what was coming next week, and now it is obviously a little bit closer. Um, we have already seen over 5 million illegal uh, aliens crossing the southern border in just the two and a half years of the Biden presidency. I can't even imagine how much worse that's about to get when Title 42 ends next week. But, Congressman, or excuse me, Senator Vance, what can Congress do, uh, if anything at all, to stop this? If Title 42, if he is dead set on ending it, and he is, uh, what can we do? Well, we can't prevent the president from ending it because that's ultimately his discretion. What we can do is investigate and howl about this, scream from the top of our lungs, and bring the, the officials before the American people to force them to answer for what they've done. I mean, there are a few things where the president has effectively sole discretion under our Constitution. Obviously, foreign affairs is one of them. Immigration is is another. So what we really need to do, Bob, is remember that whoever wins the Republican nomination, and obviously I've endorsed President Trump, uh, we, we, we need to get a Republican president in there to fix the American immigration system because that's one issue. It's just impossible to going in the right direction without a good president in there. But let's just sort of step back here and recognize that even Biden administration officials, Secretary Mayorkas on down, 
they've all admitted that if you eliminate Title 42, it will lead to an even greater flood of illegal migrants. And here's the game that these guys play. They basically allow these people into the country, uh, like you said, to the tune of $5 million, maybe more. They give them a paper that basically says you have to show up for court in 30 days. And then when the immigrants fail to show up for their court date, they're effectively allowed to roam free in our country for years, sometimes decades. This is an invasion of our country. It's killing people because it's empowering the Mexican drug cartels. Mm-hmm. And if you look, Bob, I really think what this is about is transforming the electorate of our country. Uh, a number of municipalities have proposed, some of them have actually done it, allowing illegal immigrants the right to vote. And so you have this sick system where the Democrats are bringing in people giving them the right to vote in certain cities, and fundamentally changing the character of our country in the process. It's it's very bad. There are things that we can do, but we are limited. I say it, Bob, we are limited as the U.S. Senate and as the U.S. Congress in what we can do. There is a bill, though, that is uh, being introduced, as I understand it, a bipartisan bill by Kirsten Sinem and Tom Tillis that would essentially work very similar to Title 42, a two-year authority uh, to expel migrants from the United States, uh, again, uh, kind of kind of under the current uh, uh, allow, allowance of Title 42, permits the U.S. to deny asylum and migration claims for public health reasons. Do you know anything about that bill? So I've heard a little bit about it. I, my understanding is that it's not just about Title 42. It has some other bells and whistles that maybe we wouldn't be happy about, not, neither me nor you. But look, I support any legislation that reinstituted Title 42 legislatively. Joe Biden would have to sign it, too. Uh, I think we have the votes in the House and the Senate to get that thing passed. I don't think that we have the votes to actually get an override of a president's veto. The, the one thing, and I'll tell you, Bob, just from conversations with my Senate colleagues, you know, the things that you pick up when the cameras aren't on. The Democrats know that there are two really, really big issues for Joe Biden. Energy and inflation, the price of everything, obviously they're very worried about that. They're also very worried about immigration, the fentanyl crisis, and, and they recognize that's a political problem for the president. So I suspect uh, that, that you're going to have some Democrats willing to sign on with bringing Title 42 back, but I also suspect Joe Biden's going to veto it because he's, Ted Cruz said something really interesting recently that I had never I never thought about that that Biden is so limited in his mental faculties. You know, he was never a moderate, right? He was always he was always more liberal than he let on, but he was never a crazy person about immigration. He was always sort of he believed in enforcing America's immigration laws. I think that he's so limited that like the crazy 35-year-old millennials in his administration, the people who believe that borders are inherently racist, have taken over the administration, and that's why we see Joe Biden doing what he's doing. And, and that Joe Biden, or at least those staffers, are not going to let that law get through. Yeah, and, you know, it's more than just a, I, that's a great point, by the way, that Senator Cruz made, and I'm glad you brought it up here. But, you know, you've got Alejandro Mayorkas being asked, what does it mean to have a secure border, and essentially being unable to answer the question. He's maximizing the resources you have to do the best job you can. That's not a secure border. A secure border means uh, uh, illegal aliens are not allowed to cross it. They are stopped. They are prevented from doing so by either barriers or or border patrol or whatever the case might be. So you've got him. You've got uh, you've got uh, the, the press secretary telling us that illegal Immigration has declined by 90% under Joe Biden instead of the 415% increase that we have actually seen. I just don't think they take it very seriously, uh, despite, as you say, it being something that Biden is going to have to answer for in his reelection campaign. 
So I, I think they take it so unseriously that you have to get to a point where you wonder, is this true incompetence or is this malice? Do they actually intend to not enforce the, the country's immigration laws? And I think that's the only plausible explanation at this point. I mean, yeah. you know, it's one thing to be bad at your job. This is not bad at your job. This is you are intentionally failing to enforce the country's immigration laws. And, and just to go to back to something you asked earlier about what we can, what can we do as a Congress with, with obviously a far left president, the thing that we can do is at least make them answer for this stuff, right? Force them to do the veto. Force the country to have the conversation about Congress trying to fix the immigration system and the president failing to do it. I, I think that we should be seriously thinking, obviously, it's Congress's, the House's job, not the Senate's job. I think the House should seriously think about impeaching Mayorkas. I think he's, he's the most egregious official within the Biden administration. But all these things can at least force the media to cover the story that they refuse to cover, which is that we have an unprecedented crisis at the southern border. And that's really the weapon we have here is the American people and their democratic will to actually have a border, which I genuinely think, Bob, is a 70-30 issue. It's a winning issue for us, which is why the media basically refuses to cover it. We can make them and we can make the president answer for these failed policies completely agree. We're talking with Senator J.D. Vance this morning. I could talk on this immigration issue all day, but uh, I know you only have a few minutes, so let's talk about debt. This is another crisis, quite frankly. Uh, the Hill reports this morning the White House is not taking the idea of a short-term debt ceiling extension off the table to avoid default. Um, where are you on this? Yeah, I think it's a mistake, Bob. I mean, what I said going into this, we had a press conference with, with sort of Senate conservatives uh, on the Hill a couple of days ago. And what I said to this exact question was, look, you can't go into a negotiation where you're already trying to extend the deadline before the president and Speaker McCarthy have even sat down. Uh, If you think about what McCarthy has done, I think it's really impressive, Bob. I I give him a ton of credit. He, he, He got House conservatives, House moderates on board for a very common sense set of reforms. It tightens the belt a little bit. It gets the country on a better financial pathway. It also pays the country's debt. So, so he has done that in the complete absence of presidential leadership. Joe Biden has to come to the table. That's what the Constitution says he has to do. And he, he, we can't go into this process already saying, well, we'll do a clean debt ceiling increase for 30 days. I think that just increases the president's leverage. The other thing I, I've noticed about Washington, D.C., Bob, is, is people love to kick the can down the road if they think the political winds might change a little bit. So if we allow a clean increase for 30 days, then what we're going to end up doing is just giving Joe Biden more leverage over this process. He's going to try to change the political conversation when right now, even the sort of center left media is saying, look, the ball's in his court. The House did their job. It's time for the president to do his. So I think we've got plenty of time for the president and McCarthy to come to a deal. They should negotiate around the deal that's already out there not some fake deal that Joe Biden may propose 30 days down the road. Senator Vance, uh, last question for you, because, again, I know your time is limited. Few people in the federal government are taking East Palestine more serious than you, and maybe even in the state government. I can say that it's been 92 days since the Norfolk Southern train derailment there that uh, upended the lives of all of those residents, and Joe Biden has still not visited, despite despite pledging to do so. No one in the Biden administration cares about, uh, you know, a bunch of Trump voters in a rural Ohio community like this. Can you give us an update on East Palestine? 
Yeah, I'll say just a couple of things. First of all, you know, I was really pissed off that the cleanup was taking so long, Bob. It's finally proceeding at pace. I think that there's a good chance that by June we will have East Palestine completely cleaned up, meaning we'll have all the toxic soil and contaminants taken out of that town and disposed of properly. You know, we're working on some legislation. We're going to have a markup on it uh, next week in the Commerce Committee uh, that I think will do some things on rail safety, but importantly, we'll put a lot of resources into East Palestine, into the homeowners who have had their basically their lives destroyed uh, by this, this terrible train derailment. Um, but look, it, it's shameful how the Biden administration has approached this. I, I hate to say it, but I think this is basic friend-enemy politics from the Biden administration. They don't see many friends in East Palestine. They see it as Trump country. Obviously, it did go overwhelmingly for President Trump. But this is about being an American leader and caring about American citizens. It's really sick. If you look at the way that Joe Biden talks about people who are breaking our immigration laws to come into our country, and then he talks about his own citizens like they're sewer rats, it's it's just a really despicable failure of leadership. Uh, It's why I've been so loud about this topic, because one of the things that we can do as a Senate is continue to, to, to focus on the area, continue to do some things, and actually force some action here. And that's exactly what we're trying to do. Has Senator Brown joined you in these efforts at all? You know, he, he has, yeah. So, so so there are a couple of things that we've worked on together. Obviously, Sheridan and I don't see eye to eye on, on many issues. Uh, but I, on this issue in particular, uh, you know, Sheridan and I have, have done some things together. The, the, the one real problem that I have with the Biden administration, just to get very concrete here, Bob, mm-hmm. is, is for a long time the EPA was allowing states like Michigan to refuse to take the toxic chemical waste out of East Palestine, even though they're the sort of only places that had the proper facilities to dispose of it. Uh, so I, I really think that when we, we talk about Biden not visiting, you know, yeah, it might be nice to have the president of the United States visit, though, to the people of East Palestine, maybe not. Um, but what, what's really lacking here is any action from the administration on FEMA, on getting the place cleaned up. It, it's just been like pulling teeth to get the administration to even care about the issue. I'm glad that some of those things have changed, but it shouldn't take a senator pounding the table for a month uh, to get the Biden administration to do its job and look after its own people. Well, I completely agree. It should not take that, but I will say this. We are glad you are there to do that. Pound that table more and more if that's what it takes. It's uh, it's a shame that it comes to that, but thank you for your diligence on that. I know the people in East Palestine and anybody with relatives out there appreciate that, too. Senator Vance, thank you so much for checking in with us. We'll keep at it, Bob. Thank you. Thank you, sir. That's uh, Senator J.D. Vance uh, joining us this morning on AM 1420, The Answer. He's on a tight clock this morning. We knew that coming in, so we got as much ground covered as we could. Um, I love the fact that he literally called for the impeachment of Alejandro Mayorkas, the uh, Secretary of Homeland Security. That means the ball's in your court, Congress, House. We control the House. We control the House, not by much, but we do have control. Yes, they can indeed uh, introduce impeachment articles against Alejandro Alejandro Mayorkas. And after what happens six days from now, on May 11th, when Title 42 actually ends, and the crush, the invasion of our southern border becomes even worse, uh, there had better be a call for impeachment. He is absolutely not doing his job in protecting the homeland. It's the name of his job, Secretary of Homeland Security. Our homeland is not secure. It is very, very unsecured. 
And that is reason enough, especially as he continues to lie about what is being done in that effort. That's reason enough to file articles of impeachment on that guy. It's 948, right back. Okay, 951, Always Right Radio, on AM 1420, The Answer. Got an opportunity here, I told you on Fridays, when we have Free For All Friday, that does contain a few guests. You have to pick uh, pick your spots, hit them where they ain't, as the old baseball adage goes. When we don't have a guest on, that's when you uh, when you make your move. Hit us now at 216-901-0945 or 888-281-1110. Um, I want to share this with you, meantime, while you're dialing, perhaps... Uh, a little follow-up to yesterday's conversation and earlier this week when we spoke of the um, meeting of the Government Oversight Committee, uh, all talking about being able to pass uh, Senate Bill 92 to get it out of committee in order to have the August election <clears throat> to raise the threshold for Ohio constitutional amendments to 60%. So we talked about yesterday, I was uh, very, very upset and angry when we found out that on Wednesday... They did not hold the vote in the uh, in the government oversight committee, and I was livid because it seems like they're doing exactly what Jason Stevens is doing and just kicking the can down the road, kicking it to to, to next week. And they're going to quietly let this deadline go by, and and uh, there won't there won't be a ballot in or a, uh, an election in August, and everything that we fear is going to happen in November is going to happen. <clears throat> Well, I got a letter from uh, John Stover uh, who clarified some things. He talked to some of the people, and it looks like maybe there's more to it than meets the eye. It wasn't a matter of not calling a vote and quietly adjourning um, for with, with an eye toward kicking the can down the road and letting the deadline expire. It's just that if they had the vote, it would have been disastrous because we would have lost the vote. So here's what I have. Uh, no action was taken by Chairman Bob Peterson of that committee because he knew it would be defeated, that uh, that uh, that bill. Uh, he said, Bob Peterson is um, uh, pro, he is supportive of uh, the August special election himself, and he is pro-life, and that other pro-Marin and pro-life House members have said that, uh, that Bob Peterson is one of the good guys here. He is in support of the August election. So he is the only one who could have called that, Vote in the committee, he did not, and the reason why is because he knew it would fail. So he's on the right side of this. Uh, so John writes to me, John Stover writes to me, the Speaker, you may remember, removed Scott Wiggum, and yeah, we had Scott Wiggum on right after that happened, as chairman because he did not move quickly on the August special election. The Speaker has the power to appoint or remove individuals from committees anytime and for any reason. So what does that mean? That means this. Jason Stevens could remove the Republicans on the Oversight Committee who are opposed to the August election and appoint those in support of moving Senate 92 to the House House floor. And, and I'm talking about people like John Cross and, uh, and Oslager. Uh, and a couple of others whose names escape me at the moment. I had uh, you know the entire list of them there, but this this could be this could be done. Jason Stevens has the power to remove them, like he did Scott Wiggum, and replace them with people who would vote for uh, getting that to a floor vote. The other option is to appoint the appropriate number of additional House members to the committee to get SB 92 passed out of committee. After the vote, he could then just remove the pro-life House members from the committee. That would be similar to what. 
the left calls packing the court. Um, you know, it, well, it's not the left calls, but the left supports packing the Supreme Court. They don't like the makeup of the current nine-member court, so what they want is to pack it, expand the court to 11 or to, you know, 13 or 15 or some odd number where uh, Joe Biden could then appoint enough individuals, enough leftists, activists in robes, uh, to, uh, you know, until they get the, the you know, the, the majority vote. So that's kind of what, what John is talking about here. And Jason, Jason Stevens could do that. It would not be my preferred way of doing things. Expand the committee and appoint a bunch more members to it until you get the number of votes that you need. I'm not a big fan of the idea, but hey, you gotta fight fire with fire. And we are in a very, very precarious situation here. So I get that. Stevens has this power as speaker. John writes, the big question for the speaker is, are you really pro-life? And on another matter related to the rhino politics on this issue, I've spoken to a number of pro-life House members, all who have said uh, that uh, said that many which signed the Ohio Right to Life letter are claiming to be pro-life but are not. Sorry about that. Uh, but are not. Mike Gonadakis, president of Ohio Right to Life, has provided cover to some of these rhinos. Uh, he claimed claiming to support the August election by signing the Ohio right to life letter, but urging the speaker not to bring the matter to the House floor privately. So they're trying to have have it both ways. When it comes time to run for office next year, the easy endorsement is Ohio right to life. After all, Mike uh, Gonadakis did sign the letter. 100% pro-life, uh, and for many, their name is not on the discharge petition. It requires 50 names to bring a vote to the House floor. We talked about that, too, and I think the last time we were revisiting, or last time we visited the subject, there were like 39, 38 or something. How these trans-dems can wake up in the morning and look at the image in the mirror and not see the image of a Democrat is beyond me. I completely concur, John. And the last thing. Finally, I stated this today to a number of House members. The buck stops with Stevens. He will be held responsible. If Planned Parenthood collects enough signatures for the November election for radical abortion and youth transgender rights, if this passes in November with a majority of 50.01% to 59.99%, Stevens will forever be the lone individual responsible for the deaths of countless unborn babies and the mutilation of countless numbers of children on Ohio. And, John, I could not agree with you more. And I appreciate the passion, and I appreciate the uh, clear explanation of the powers of the speaker in this case. Speaker Jason, Steve, we were told, and I don't want to be too redundant and hit this over and over again, but we were told by all of the gang of 22... The trans Dems, no, you don't understand. He's just as conservative as Marin is, but he's a little bit more easy to approach, and we'll be able to get a little bit more done with him. All of this crap that they said, it's going to be a massive, massive conservative agenda. It was just that, just crap, K-E-R-R-A-P-P, crap. That's what it was. Because John is right. Jason Stevens has the ability here. To, to make this happen, if he truly was pro-life himself. John Cross, I gave you his quote yesterday on Facebook, claiming, I'm 100% pro-life, and anybody who disputes that, blah, blah, blah. Then step up and prove it, you pathetic trans-Democrat hack. And I'm talking specifically about John Cross here. I could say this about many of them, by the way. And yes, yes, Cuyahoga's uh, county's own and only Republican in the House from Cuyahoga County, Tom Patton, you claim you're pro-life. Why are you not signing on? Why are you not realizing the error of your ways that took censorship? 
It took an embarrassing vote to censure you. It took the state central committee, the RPCC, and and you still, this is the time for you to try to start to make amends. Do the right thing here. Help support and convince other members, other Republican members, on, for example, the government, government oversight committee. I know you're not on that, but convince them to do what is right here and convince Jason Stevens to do what has to be done to get this thing through so we have the election in August. Do not let the trans Democrats win. There's only two sides to this. It's a binary choice. Either you support the conservative principles of pro-life or you oppose them. There's no middle ground. You can't say, I'm pro-life, but uh, you know I'm going to let this abortion initiative go through in November without stopping it. You can't sit on this fence. You absolutely have to make a decision. It's 10 o'clock, news time now. We'll come back. Jonathan Broadbent will join us on AM 1420, The Answer. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Welcome to Always Right Radio with Bob Frantz on AM 1420, The Answer. Hour number two underway now. It is nine minutes past ten o'clock. Good Friday morning to you. Happy Cinco de Mayo. Happy uh, birthday to my father-in-law, too. Happy birthday. 91 years young, Donald Dombrowski. Happy birthday to him. And uh, hope you're having a great day. It is the fifth morning of the fifth month, year of our Lord, 2023. Thanks to uh, uh, Senator J.D. Vance. And like I said in the start of the show, it's kind of like the old days. Uh, Last year at about this time, prior to the May primary, we were talking to J.D. Vance and Bernie Moreno on the same day multiple times because they were both running for the same office. Now, J.D. Vance is already in the Senate, and Bernie Moreno wants to be, and he's running against Sherrod Brown. I'm going to talk to him at 1110. So we had J.D. Vance last hour. We have uh, Bernie Moreno coming up next hour. As for this hour, our good friend Jonathan Broadbent awaits. Jonathan Broadbent is with Protect Ohio Children North, also Ohio Value voters. He is doing hard yeoman type work to try to protect our kids in uh, what is supposed to be their education centers, but have become indoctrination centers. Jonathan Broadbent, good to have you back, my friend. How are you, sir? Good. Good morning, Bob. Glad to be back. Absolutely. You know, we've been talking about this, kicking around the idea of having a regular benchmark se- uh, um, a segment every week for education, and of which you would be a big part, and we're still working on that. But until we get it finalized as to when that's going to be, we're just going to call on you when we can get you. And I'm glad we, we, you were able to join us this morning, because there's a lot. Yesterday I did a uh, almost an hour or so on just education being uh, in a crisis mode right now, and it is, uh, not just in the state of Ohio, Northeast Ohio, but all across the country. And I just sat here and cited examples example after example after example of what is being done to our kids, and that's where you come in. So, Jonathan, let's start with one of the big focus items, as you uh, referred to it, and that is changing out these left-wing school boards, who are the ones responsible for what goes on inside of those schools with respect to indoctrination and more. Uh, we've got to change out these uh, these school boards, and elections are coming up, right? 
Yeah, absolutely. And I, I tell you, unfortunately, at this point, we could fill at least an hour a week with all the shenanigans and mayhem and indoctrination in schools. And yeah. the the key point this year, right now, that I'm really focused on across Ohio is school board elections. If you haven't already done so, dear listener, please go out there and find out how many school board seats are up this year. We need to get organized. We need to find good what I like to call education-aware candidates and get them in those seats. It's going to take effort. It's going to take some work. But if we're going to reclaim education in Ohio's schools, it's going to start with the school board. We need to run good candidates. Yeah, and and, and that's exactly right. That's a hard thing to do, um, to find good candidates. Um, Obviously, we make as much noise as we can on the radio. I know you guys make as much noise as you can at actual school board meetings. And we have to convince parents or residents of communities that do recognize that, what did you call them, education aware, uh, yeah. you know, to, to let them know that it's it's one thing to shake your head in disgust at what, what's going on. It's another thing to step up and find those candidates. So what needs to happen, it sounds like, Jonathan, is there needs to be kind of a, a recruitment campaign and not a temporary one, but one that is ongoing all the time, that every two-year cycle when it's time to, re, you know, to elect new uh, uh, board members, um, that we have a bunch of people ready and willing to step up uh, because they're hard to find. I couldn't agree more. And two recommendations. One is communities need to get organized. We've seen it in a number of different places like Rocky River. They're the example that I keep using, but they're just one of many examples now. Rocky River formed a group called Rocky River Citizens for Transparency. They have a Facebook group. They're organized. They, they know everything. They're constantly on the school board. Um, I, I mean, figuratively, they're, they're at meetings, reviewing things, talking about what's happening. They're looking at the financial statements, the grant monies, the funding, the curriculum, everything, you name it. That's what it takes at this point. It's we, the people, getting involved. But once that's put together and you start finding people to run, I have a recommendation for who should run for school board. And it's actually taking the message of the left and flipping it and doing exactly the opposite, which works in many instances. What the left says, anytime somebody comes forward to run for school board, is, and you probably heard it ad nauseum, they, they will pound on whether or not the candidate for school board has kids in the district. And you hear it uh, probably uh, anytime anybody uh, shows up to run for school board. My suggestion is exactly the opposite. Find the parents out there who either have children who are not in that public school system, going to a parochial, a private school, or home-educated, or find grandparents who are education-aware. Run them. Because here's what the left, I think, is looking for. And it's unfortunate, um, but I have to say it. The left want leverage. If you, if you are on school board and your children are in the district, the left will manipulate manipulate you they will use that against school board candidates though and existing school board members i've seen it over and over and over again the the school board candidates feel pressured into rubber stamping issues because they are very afraid as parents of the blowback on their kids so we just do exactly the opposite find somebody who has is is impervious to this type of attack and run them so the things to do, just to, to uh, put a fine point on that, is 
Organize your community, whatever it is, even if it's just two people right now. Get together for coffee. Grow it to three, then five, then 50, then 200. Grow that community. If you're on social media, uh, Telegram, Facebook, it doesn't matter. It's a great way of capturing message and organizing. And once you do, in a year like right now, find those people who are smart, um, whatever you want to call them, education-aware, conservative, mm-hmm. whatever term you want to attach to it. We need people willing to step, serve on school board who are going to fight back against this woke left indoctrination. Yep, very well said. Jonathan Broadbent is my guest from Ohio, uh, Protect Ohio Children North. Um, when we talk about organizing and recruiting and so forth, um, we have to talk about Jeremiah Sawyer. I know you are very familiar with Jeremiah. You were at the uh, event in Hudson this past week. I was too, but I had to leave before I could hear Jeremiah speak. But his group, the Ohio School Board Constitutional Coalition, is a great, great start. And uh, I know they have uh, a bunch of candidates already identified. But uh, that's an example. Can you speak to that and how we can grow more organizations like that or expand this one into into more, more, more places? throughout Ohio. Yeah, absolutely. And so there are parts of the left that are enviable. We can envy the left, their organization, their um, financing, their tenacity. Uh, They're very structured. And we're playing catch-up, for sure. But OSBCC, or as you said, the the, uh, Jeremiah Sawyer's Ohio School Board's Constitutional Coalition is a part of that. It's those of us on the right who are organizing in similar fashion. And so in the past, if you were a conservative or education-aware school board candidate, you really kind of went on your own. You just figure out, you look at YouTube videos or read stuff online, figure out how to run, um, what, what it, what's entailed. You might uh, look at examples of different postcards and flyers and all that stuff. Those times are gone. You're not thrown anymore, school board candidate. If you're thinking about running for school board right now and you're a good person, if you care about um, children and education, the pursuit of academic excellence, step forward. Start with a phone call or email to Jeremiah Sawyer at OSPCC because you're going to find that just like our counterparts on the left, we're now organized. We have great groups and terrific resources available to help coach you every step of the way. There are templates. There are um, There's help online with creating what's called walking lists. If you do want to go door-to-door, um, there are, you name it, we've got the whole package all put together to assist good candidates in running for school board. Or I, Excuse me, I shouldn't say we. I say that like I'm involved. I I, I'm encouraging uh, Jeremiah Sawyer. I'm not involved in OSBCC, but... I have personally sent, I've lost track of how many people to him, and the the feedback I'm getting is tremendous. People love having that support network, and it didn't used to exist. Yeah, this this is all hands on deck, so you can say we, because we are all, I think, interested in the same outcomes here. Jonathan, you also mentioned to me school board meeting videos. Tell me why that's so important. Yes, so I'm glad you brought that up. It's a big push that that I've uh, reinitiated. So here's, here's the way I look at it. When we first started seeing this woke left stuff hitting our schools, we went out in droves, huge groups of people, and we went up to the podium 
And we felt sure, I include myself in this, I was certain that if I get up there with enough outrage and point out just the, the terrible educational malfeasance of the boards and what they're doing, that for sure they would wake up and realize and they would change their course. Well, frustratingly, that didn't happen. We've all now experienced the blank stares of the school board. They just look at us like we're aliens or they're asleep with their eyes open or something. And it's frustrating. They, they didn't change course. There's been this long lull now where school boards are sort of left to their own. Parents stopped showing up. I have a recommendation. Let's change our perspective. I'm encouraging people to get back in there. Go back into those school board meetings, and we're going to accomplish a few things. The first thing to know is when you were looking at those school board members, just allow your mind to drift away from their faces. Think of them as uh, daisies or something. They're blur out their faces. The point is, you are not talking to them. You may be looking in their direction, but your audience is the camera in the room. Your audience is YouTube. If it's not recorded, bring in some recording equipment. If you have problems uh, with recording equipment, refer to Sunshine Laws. It's a legal requirement that they must allow video recordings. But here's what we're after. You're finding the issues in that school district and reading them into the record. We want public record of all of the issues and problems because when it comes to the lawsuits, and that's the big fear of school, school boards and school districts is the lawsuits. When it comes to the lawsuits over letting boys in the girls' bathrooms and the race-baiting gender theory, uh, race theory stuff, all of that, all of the accepting of grant money and the strings that come attached, we want a track record a video track record time stamped. So that, I'd love to say that we could realistically expect that we could go in and speak to school boards and that they would change course and get back to education. That's not going to happen. But we can get those video snippets. And as you and I uh, have seen, even over the last few days, those videos, they still work. They're getting tens of thousands of views and they're they're waking people up. Absolutely, they are, and uh, and they they still work, and I think they'll continue to. That's a great message that you have. That's great advice. Now, Jonathan, I I sent you a couple of items. I wanted to kind of particularly this first one, and maybe we'll only only have time for this one. So, uh, there's good news. Um, you know, pushing back and and saying the right thing and doing the right thing by our kids uh, against this left-wing indoctrination that we have in our schools uh, it's difficult it takes courage and it draws enemies it draws fire um but it works um and and this story is from California which of course is as bad as it gets a California school board member reclaimed his seat this past Wednesday in a special election. Back in October, community members were so livid that this board member, a new board member, had actually uh, posted on Facebook his opposition to child mutilation through transgender surgeries and so forth. And they were so mad that he wanted to protect kids in such a way, they actually petitioned and got enough votes to have a special election to remove him. Well, they held that special election, and he won and kept his seat by 8.6%. I bring this up, even though that's California, Jonathan, to kind of ask this. Do you think that there is a lot more support for returning education to schools in favor of it, uh, rather than indoctrination than we realize? 
but they're just the silent majority. And when it comes time to speak, they rise up the way they did here. But they're just, you know, it, it, it's finding whatever it is that triggers their their outrage or their commitment or their passion or whatever for kids. I see an outcome like this in a very, very left-wing state. I don't know too much about the community, but you see what they did. They got enough petition, enough signatures on the petition to have that special election, and he won going away by 8.6 points. I feel like that's good news for us, that there are a lot of us out there that just maybe don't know how to express themselves. Yeah, well, I completely agree personally, and that's one of a couple of examples in California. There was another, uh, I think it was San Francisco area, which is very far left. Um, they, in a, in a recent election, they replaced three school board members who were too far left. So even the left that's right, uh, that are getting happen. outraged by, by how far it's moved. And Bob, there are a couple of different schools of thought uh, that I'll, I'll readily admit um, in the political realm or running for school board. Um, there are folks out there who will still advocate for more of a neutral run. They'll tell, they'll suggest that getting too far out in messaging, being anti CRT and anti uh, this new sex ed called. Uh, comprehensive sexuality education and all that stuff coming out too strongly messaged against that might work against people and they might advocate for running on a neutral platform i'm actually exactly the opposite um my my encouragement to anybody running and you really you have to run based on um personality and and um your feelings on these issues as a candidate but my suggestion is to face this stuff head on, get get right into the eye of the storm and and it, attack it in the community. I think that that is a winnable message to get out there in your community and tell people that you are the candidate that's going to oppose this stuff. Hopefully, there are enough people that are awake in your district that it resonates, um, that people realize the bad stuff that's going on in school districts right now and vote for you because of it. I don't know that it's a magic wand or silver bullet, um, but I do think now is the time to really grab the bull by the horns and message aggressively against the woke left. I completely concur, and that's uh, and that's a great message to wrap this conversation on. Jonathan Broadbent, Protect Ohio Children North and Ohio Value Voters as well. Jonathan, thank you so much for everything you do. Thanks for coming on, and we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks for having me, Bob. Take you got care. It. You got it. 1026 now. So uh, there's a lot of grist for the mill there alone, not to mention what I spoke with uh, J.D. Vance about earlier on. I want you to pick and choose from things we just did or have done today or off the record completely. Anything that's just completely out of uh, left field. Uh, what, what that means is we have free for all Friday for the next thirty plus minutes because it won't be until eleven ten that we talk to Senate candidate Bernie Moreno. The next thirty five minutes ish are yours at two one six nine zero one zero nine four five. What question do you have? What comment do you have? What do we want to talk about? You decide on free for all Friday next. Enlightening the sleeping masses and stoking the fire of the American dream. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. Okay, 1035, open lines on Free For All Friday. 
particularly for the next 30 minutes. So we will talk to uh, Bernie Moreno coming up after the top of the hour, uh, who is now, of course, a Senate candidate running against Sherrod Brown, or actually wanting to run against Sherrod Brown. He's going to be in a primary fight, obviously. Uh, Bernie is coming out very, very strong against Joe, Joe Biden's immigration policy and the end of Title 42. So uh, he wrote a statement about it yesterday that is certainly worth our discussion. Meantime... You are worth our discussion. 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. We'll go to uh, Akron first. Tanya on AM 1420, The Answer. Good morning, Tanya. Hey, Bob. How are you? I'm doing well. What's on your so, mind this morning? This is just my report back on uh, the, uh, taking Americans' children back Ohio Summit on Sunday. Yes. I went there, and I was... Four weeks off of my knee surgery, so it was a hard day for me to be there. But it was fantastic. Um, Taught us how to talk in a workshop, how to talk to your neighbors and your friends without being defensive, uh, having those conversations. Uh, I love Jeremiah Sawyer, uh, and your last speaker was 100% right. We need to get grandparents involved that don't have people in the school system at all. Because if you do, your your children's children, which are your grandchildren, will be attacked. And when they're attacked, your children will turn against you. So the conversation is find other grandparents that want superior education for their grandchildren's future. The future doctors, lawyers, Indian chiefs will be coming out of the, the failing schools of right now. And... We need to do something. We don't need the CRT. We don't need to talk about it like that. We need to talk about it as if could the person that's coming out of a school system now be a doctor, an effective doctor or lawyer in five to ten years with the educational level that they have now. They can't build bridges. They will not be able to build companies because they're ignorant, and it's not their fault. You know, so um, the part, go, going Convers- back, go ahead. Uh, hold on a second, Tanya. Going back to what you said and what uh, Jonathan talked about, of getting grandparents, I agree. Um, but but this is what makes the fight so difficult for our side, uh, which should be the right side, meaning the correct side, meaning the just side, is that you don't even have to be on the school board to have your kids be targeted for your viewpoints if you are vocal if you show up uh at board meetings and make statements even if you're not running if you are on social media and other parents of other kids see that you are against child mutilation which they call gender affirming care for your trans friends that they need to be inclusive they'll still take it out on your kids the schools know who the, the, the rabble-rousing, troublemaking parents are, and they will make life miserable for the kids. And so that's, while it's a great idea, and yours and Jonathan's, you know, to, to have grandparents and people who don't have kids in the district run for school board, if just the, if, this is what silences parents, though. This is what keeps parents quiet because they are afraid that their kids are going to suffer the retribution when they're in schools. So that's why the small group like Rocky River is so so good because those parents can anonymously give information to groups like that, and that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to start a group like that for Summit County, okay, where you will have different – where things are going on, you can send us the picture. We can go and be the face and put it in front of the school board. 
because I, I hope that they listen and take it seriously if uh, if it is coming from anonymous sources. That's the one thing. Oftentimes, well, you the know, whole thing anonymous... is, is that yeah, go ahead. Uh, there always has to be someone that you know. When you were in a military, you have to have that that point person. I'm not saying that we're the only thing, but we can be a beginning thing. Okay, and we have the courage to stand up and we start making small achievements, then other people will have it. We will build an army of our own. They have had 50 years to build their army. We're just starting to build ours with small recruits. So the recruits we need to build it with are the ones that they can't take down. Bob Pepper said it a long time ago. I will run for office when my kids don't care, my grandkids love me, and half of my friends are dead and they can't hold anything against me. That's called a grandparent. We've been here long yeah. enough. We are warriors. Yeah, well, great, great, great. You know, you're right. We are. And, uh, and Tanya, thank you for the call. I'm so glad you made it out on a bad knee, no less, after surgery. Thank you for coming out on uh, on Sunday and supporting and learning more. And I was there for that presentation about how to talk to other people. And uh, uh, like I said, I wasn't able to stay for Jeremiah's uh, uh, presentation because of another commitment. But uh, but I'm so glad you were there, and I'm so glad people care enough to um, to not only talk about it but to do. Thank you. Um, Sally is in Berea next. Hi, Sally. You're on AM 1420. The answer, fire away. Hi, Bob. I'm disheartened about the report on the trial of the Proud Boys regarding January 6th, finally, that was witnessed and given by Julie Kelly. There were so many violations over time of their civil rights, but worst of all, the upgrading of minor charges to felonies and worse like sedition. And it was impossible to get a free trial in the D.C. swamp anyways with no change of venue given. One commentator sur- surmised that the prosecutor's successful use of text taken out of context was a dress rehearsal for prosecution of President Trump. I fear that that is how the Banana Republic tactics will play out. So may God help us work to restore the justice system in the 24 election. Thanks, Bob. Yeah, uh, thank you, Sally. Um... D.C. is some 92 or 94% Democrat, uh, the voters, like the registra- registrations there. It is literally the swamp that we all talk about. You know, people kind of gloss over that word anymore. Uh, the swamp. It is. It is a cesspool of corruption. It is a cesspool of, of, of crime. And it does not believe in whatsoever in, in the founding principles of this country, despite the fact that it's the center of our federal government. There is nobody, a proud boy, or anybody who is currently sitting in in the gulags because of their role in January 6th or their alleged role in January 6th that can get a fair trial in Washington, D.C. None. None. And we've talked about this in the past. That's why every judge that hears every or any case related to January 6th when they hear the request and the petition for a change of venue, will deny it. And here's why. If the judge allows a change of venue and those defendants start getting trials outside of the 92-94% Democrat left-wing swamp that hates anything and everything having to do with Donald Trump, 
which means anything and everything having to do with Donald Trump supporters, which means anything and everything having to do with January 6th defendants, including and especially the ones still being held without trial. They hate them so much that there is a guaranteed guilty verdict in Washington. If any of those judges grant a change of venue and they get outside that swamp, and it truly is a fair and impartial jury of their peers, there's a chance, and in fact a strong likelihood, that many of these defendants will be acquitted. And then what happens? If those defendants are actually acquitted, then the judges that refuse to give them their their constitutional right to a speedy trial and have kept them under lock and key now for two and a half years, oftentimes in oppressive situations and circumstances such as isolation, they would they would have to answer for how you can keep what turned out to be innocent people from having their trial in a speedy manner as they are constitutionally guaranteed. How? What justification do you have for keeping all of these people locked up? If any of them are found innocent, are acquitted, the judges have a hell of a lot to answer for. And so now that it's gone as far as it has, they have an absolute vested interest in keeping them in the swamp without granting the change of venue. They need convictions to say, see, what are you worried about? Why do you care if they served two and a half years already? When they're, look at what we convicted them of, or look at what they were convicted of by the left wing DAs. So you're right. There was no way for any one of those Proud Boy members, including the ones who were not even there, who did nothing. They're convicted of conspiracy and all of this other stuff. And Tanya's right about what they did, or, or excuse me, uh, 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 Sally, about the uh, 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 text, text messages out of context. And it being a dress rehearsal or saying, I don't know if it's a dress rehearsal, it's just business as usual. This is what they do. This is what they do to political opponents. It's very, very aggravating. It's very, very, you know, it, it makes me angry. And, and I, I don't even know anybody who's in those gulags. I don't know anybody that are sitting as political prisoners right now. But I can only imagine what their families feel like. I can only imagine that they have a loved one who walked in through an open door that was held open by police. They're saying, go ahead. You think you are doing something that is lawful if a law enforcement officer is telling you to go ahead and do it. If it's, it's like the, uh, the QAnon shaman that Tucker featured when he got that video. Police officers are giving him a guided tour around the Capitol. How the hell is he to think that he's breaking the law? The officers are the ones tour guiding him. If a cop says, go ahead, sure, here, let me show you around, or here, go ahead in. You think I'm not breaking the law, an officer is telling me to go. And now some of these people are still sitting in jail. They're still sitting in jails and in prisons and awaiting their trials that are never coming. It's a, it is beyond un-American. Glenn is in Strongsville. Glenn, thanks for waiting. You're on the air. Go ahead, sir. Good morning, Bob. Uh, you got yet another great show going. Uh, as far as what you're just talking about just there, I can't understand why there isn't some pushback from some good uh, Republicans or something, you know, for the, those uh, poor people that are tied up there. Hey, what I'm calling about is um, I think you were talking earlier about good uh, school board candidates that we need some. Is that right? Oh, of course. Absolutely. 
Okay, well, I'll tell you what. I can give you two individuals uh, running for the Strongsville City School Board. They're conservative. They have absolutely the best ideas for what it would be best for the students uh, and go along with, um, you know, CRT and all that kind of stuff. Um, they've been attending uh, school board meetings for some time on a regular basis because I've seen them there. Um, and I just wanted to mention that here in Strongsville, we, we do have some uh, good people that uh, looks promising. There's going to be a meet-and-greet fundraiser for them on May 10th at the Harvest Saloon here in Strongsville. I love that um, place. Love the Harvest Saloon. I'm sorry? Saloon. I love that place, the Harvest Saloon. That's a great place to hold the, hold the event. I, I love the yeah. place. I've, yeah. I've seen you there at some of the events and everything. Yes, yeah, you're absolutely correct. <laughs> and, uh, and they're all for us and everything. But these two people are uh, down-to-earth and honest as can be. Um, you, you've probably met them at uh, one of the SGOP events. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Um, I, I just wanted to let everybody and they, and know. And they are, they, are declared, they are declared candidates or they're considering it? They are declared. Okay, good. They are declared, and they're just, they're just good people, and I'd, I'd love to see people come out and uh, support them at this fundraiser. It would be wonderful, and it, um, it's, I, I believe, supported by the uh, SGOP. And what's the day and time? It is May 10th, Wednesday, May 10th, at 6 o'clock p.m. at the Harvest Saloon. Um, I, I don't know if I should give their, their names or not. But, well, why uh, not? If they're, that's the reason I asked if they were declared candidates. If they're declared candidates, give their names. Absolutely. You want to okay. generate support for them. All right. Yeah, I certainly do. It's Beverly Jones mm-hmm. and Jeff Johansson. Okay. Uh, I've talked to them many times, and they're just, just good people, and they have all the best um, uh, in mind, and uh, they would be a good complement to the two uh, uh board members that are uh, on on the board right now they're serving so it would be wonderful to have them on the board too they well, uh, here's they're... here's what i would love to have happen um i would love to create a comprehensive database of good um education minded and education aware school board candidates all over northeast ohio what you just did by talking about these two i hope people can call programs like mine and 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 share in other places as well the names of the truly good education minded i won't even say conservative it's not about political ideology it's about education versus indoctrination getting rid of things like crt sel esg uh you know all of the 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 trash and the and the crap that these kids are being put through this gender theory and so forth um if you've got board candidates that are that are opposed to all of those things and rather teaching reading writing arithmetic you know history science and so forth um i would love to create a database people can just go to automatically and say here's my city here's my district uh who are the good candidates that i have here and i'll tell you what i'm throwing out an open challenge to anybody who wants to create that we'll put the names of your strongsville candidates there we'll put the names of anybody and everybody else that we become aware of i think it would be a very very big help to everybody please do because they are uh uh they have the exact ideas you're just talking about there that's that's what they want to do that's what it's all about well i'm hey, glad you did quick. that yeah, i'm sorry yep no go ahead finish your thought I just want to say real quick, you're going to have Bernie Marino on. I've talked to him at one of the SGOB, uh, SGOP events as well, and that guy is a down-to-earth person. I mean, I really like the way he worked his way up and all that, and, uh, and he, he has all the best intentions as well. He's a good guy. 
I like him as well, and I agree. He's real. He's down to earth. You know, I mean, the guy is a hugely successful businessman. He does not wear it like that. He is very, very easy to talk to and approachable, and I like that about him too. So you'll stick Absolutely. around. Absolutely. Yeah, stick around for that conversation, which is coming up here in about fifteen minutes. Thank you I for will. the call, Glenn. God bless. Appreciate you. I'll throw that out there. You know, it's uh, it's not exactly what the Ohio School Board um, uh, Constitutional Coalition is doing. I don't think. We had Jeremiah Sawyer on uh, about two weeks ago, three weeks ago, whatever it was, before the uh, Taking America's Children Back event. And um, they are for recruiting and networking to pull in great candidates, great school board uh, members. And there's training available for current and active, or excuse me, current and uh, potential school board members. Um, There's so much that they do, but I don't know if they actually have a database. I'll have to look into that. I can't. I can't swear to it, but that's an open challenge to anybody that is interested in doing more than just talking about this. Help us create a database, put it on a website somewhere, and and just have people. It's kind of, you know here's 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 what I'm envisioning: something that is a very very smaller version of uh, like Ballotpedia. Um, where you can go and learn, or, or the one that the Ohio Roundtable does, where you can go and learn, you know, about the candidates for other elections, but you can, but but make this specific to these are the constitutional conservative candidates in board races in, you know, I don't care if it's Strongsville or Solon or Bay or Lorraine or or Beachwood or, 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 you know, Cleveland Heights or anywhere else for that matter. I don't care as long as you have truly conservative education. I'm not conservative. Again, let's step that out. Constitutional, constitutionally minded, education aware candidates. Let's put a list together so people know who to vote for when their school board races come up. Just, uh, just a, it's just a thought, but it's something if somebody would be willing to do, I would sure as heck be willing to help promote. 1053, right back. Okay, 10.57 now. Don't forget, we've got Bernie Marino coming up um, after the top of the hour. Uh, we'll have a little fun here for this last short segment, um, if I can squeeze it in. I don't know if I can squeeze it in in time or not here, but uh, Senator John Kennedy is always fun from Louisiana. Uh, Senator John Kenny- Kennedy is even more fun when he is making fun of Biden uh, nominees any, any or, or uh, uh, supporters that testify before his committee. If you did not see this one yet, the uh, uh, Kennedy exchange with a Biden official on climate change is something that you need to hear. Let me see if I can pull this up and play it fast enough for you in the short period of time. It's a little long. Ah, no, it isn't. It's too long. I can play it, but I'm going to have to save it for you, I guess, for maybe after Bernie Moreno. But um, he was questioning uh, Deputy Energy Secretary David Turk during a Senate Appropriations Subcommittee hearing. And when he gets Biden officials on the uh, on the com- stand or or testifying before the committee, he is like a pit uh, you know a pit bull on a on a soup bone. He is not letting go. He asked him to provide a specific number 
a specific number of, of, of how much the world temperatures will be reduced if we spend $50 trillion the way the left wants to with the Green New Deal uh, to become carbon neutral by 2050. How much would the world's temperatures reduce? And to watch that and look at and listen to that tap dance is, is, is entertainment of the highest order. No idea. Cannot, would not answer the question, and John Kennedy would not let it go. I'm going to share it with you, I swear, before we're done. Might not be until after the 1130 break, uh, because I do have Bernie Moreno coming. I'm going to play it for you, because it's just great entertainment. Remember, this is a guy, of course, who gave us one of our favorite sound bites. You've just got to try harder not to suck. That's the one right there. We'll hear from him in this uh, latest embarrassment of the uh, Biden administration coming up. But first, we'll get news. Then we'll get Bernie Moreno here to talk about the ongoing surrender of American sovereignty by way of invasion at our southern border. Bernie Moreno with thoughts next day in 1420 DMs. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and KeepingMedicareSimple.com. You and I know... And do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. This is Always Right Radio with Bob Frantz on AM 1420, The Answer. Onward into hour number three, the last hour of the broadcast. In fact, the last hour of the entire week of Always Right Radio. Thanks for being with us. Had a great conversation with J.D. Vance in hour number one. A terrific conversation in hour number two as well with uh, Jonathan Broadbent. And now we've got another one. Let's lead it this way. Uh, Hold on a second. Come on. Come on. I want to hear another Peter Ducey gem in the uh, exposure of the diversity hire that is Kareem Jean-Pierre. You said yesterday that when it comes to illegal migration, you've seen it come down by more than 90%. Where did that number come from? It was, I was speaking. is telling us the number is... I hear you. I'm about to answer. I'm about, people more I'm about to answer you. Year so if, you, far. if you... If the dramatics could come down just a little bit. Uh, um, if the dramatics could come down a little what's bit. What's dramatic... About asking a question about... Okay, I'm, I'm going to answer. It's dramatic because you're bringing facts and exposing her lies. That's what made it dramatic. That's what the entire Biden administration has been about. They have been about lying, particularly as it pertains to the southern border. According to the statistics provided by the Ohio Border Patrol Council, illegal immigration, illegal border crossings and encounters is up 4 115 percent from 2020 to now in 2023 415 percent and she stood there and tried to tell america through the press that it is down 90 percent 
under Joe Biden. Joining us now is a guy who is sick and tired of all of it. And when 40, Title 42 comes to an end next week, it's only going to be worse. And I'm speaking of U.S. Senate candidate Bernie Moreno. Joining us now on AM 1420, The Answer. Bernie, thank you for the time this morning. How are you, sir? I'm great, uh, Bob. Thank you for having me. Uh, except, uh, you know, you look at what's going on in this country, what we're allowing to happen at our southern border, and it's hard It's hard to uh, feel good, right? Because our country's being invaded. Uh, we have no idea where these millions of people are coming from. We don't know where they're going, and we don't know their intent. And quite frankly, we have leaders in Washington, D.C. that are doing absolutely nothing to stop it. No, and, and and it sounds like they don't even take it seriously. You know, that's why I played that clip. I wanted to ask you about that. I mean, she stood there and literally made that claim the day before, and, and I mean, almost everyone on social media erupted, and rightfully so. Anybody who is a responsible journalist wrote about what a complete, absolute, abject lie that that was, and then when somebody calls her out on it, she says, oh, stop being so dramatic. My goodness, I don't think they take it seriously. If she's the press secretary, otherwise known as the spokesperson for the president, that means the president and his, and his administration is not taking border security seriously if they make claims like that. No, not, not, not only are they not taking it seriously, they have journalists, quote-unquote, that don't cover the story. They, they are the ones that enable that lie. Because the reality is the majority of Americans, certainly not your listeners, but the majority of Americans don't understand the severity of what's happening in our border. We have millions of illegals streaming into our country unabated. And, Bob, you know there's no civilized or sane nation that would allow that type of invasion. And no. this elimination of Title 42 is only going to make it worse. No, that is so true. I mean, you know, I haven't really even pondered that. I haven't talked about that, and I should, because you're exactly right. There is no other nation in the Western Hemisphere. There's no, there was no other nation, really, I, I don't think, anywhere uh, that considers itself free or not that would allow this kind of invasion. Our asylum laws say we have to take all of these people as long as they claim asylum, and we have to give them a hearing. And, Bernie, the hearings are four years now backlogged, four years, a new person crossing that border and saying asylum. I'm trying to get, escape persecution from my home country is being set free into the interior of the United States, and they are not coming back at a minimum until four years. Once Title 42 ends and hundreds of thousands more cross, that's going to be pushed to six to seven to eight years. In other words, the United States does, just no longer has a border. Well, and you know the reality is what this is actually about, this is a backdoor amnesty deal. So this so-called asylum is really a way for them to get people in here and and get them to the point where they give them backdoor asylum. We have to make certain that we, uh, our leaders make it crystal clear that we won't allow that. Uh, You know, Biden's sending 1,500 troops down there to do administrative tasks. You know, they should be going down there in a law enforcement capacity. Uh, we should be declaring the drug cartels terrorist organizations. We should be getting Mexico to resurge their troops to the border. That didn't cost us anything. It was costing Mexico. And we need to wipe out these drug cartels. Right now, Bob, the people who are determining who comes into America is not our elected leaders. It is the leaders of the Mexican drug cartels. Think about that for a second. Well, you're right, um, and, and and this is uh, this is the part that they never address. 
um, the drug cartels, and not just the drug cartels, but the gang members, the MS-13 gang, uh, the human traffickers. There is the guns. I mean, between guns and people and and um, uh, and drugs that that continue to be smuggled across the border. And by the way, we know this is not everybody. This is what they try to do, Bernie Moreno. They try to get us. Uh, they try to call us all, you know, racists or or you know, xenophobes or whatever by saying that the people coming across are all doing something illegal. We're not saying they are, but. Bernie, if 10%, if 90% of the border crossers are all here legitimately just because they want a better life and they want to work and blah, 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 and, 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 and you know, we say, well, we understand that. If 90% of them are here for the, for the right reasons and only 10% are here to do those other things, 10% of 5 million people, I, I, I'm not a mathematician here, but that's a hell of a lot of criminals doing a hell of a lot of, a hell of, a lot of damage to the interior of the United States and its citizens. Well, uh, the, the stat was from Border Patrol agents, not from me, from Border Patrol agents, was that 730,000 people crossed into our country illegally and did not encounter uh, the, uh, the Border Patrol agents. So these are people who don't want to get caught. 730,000 in one year that are obviously up to no good because if they, they the, the migrants want to encounter Border Patrol because they want that backdoor asylum deal. I'm sorry, that backdoor amnesty deal about declaring asylum, which gets them catch and release. So they're in our country for five, six, seven years. That's what they want. So imagine the 730 that don't want that. Uh, these are your bad, bad actors. And right. the Border Patrol agents have, uh, have, have had it. You know, there is, as you know, Bob, I've, I've asked, uh, demanded that our elected leaders in Washington, D.C. should be, their paycheck should be cut off until they solve this problem. Nobody in Washington, D.C. who's an elected official should get a dollar for the taxpayer until they solve this problem. And it's very solvable. Well, it's solvable if they really wanted to solve it, but they don't, and you know this. That's why every time you know KJP is asked about this or anybody else in the administration, including the Secretary of Homeland Security, for crying out loud, um, anytime they're asked about this, they say, well, the Congress has to solve this with comprehensive immigration reform, and you know what that means. That means we're not doing anything to solve it at the border until you green light and give amnesty, as you called it, backdoor amnesty to all these people. That is their only goal here, um, is to green light... You know, what is it, 11, 12, 15 million? I don't even know what the number is anymore of illegal immigrants who are already in this country. You give them amnesty and you put them on the pathway to citizenship, and then we'll talk about uh, uh, actually securing the border. They're sending 1,500 troops, Bernie Moreno, uh, not to block the border, but to process and transport the people into the United States, for crying out loud. Yeah, it's insane. I mean, we need to finish, we need to finish the wall. We need to remove all social welfare incentives for illegals to come here. We've got to punch punish sanctuary cities and states by cutting off federal funding to them. And the reality, let me go back to one point you made earlier, uh, Bob. I have probably, of my extended family, meaning cousins, first cousins, et cetera, 70% of them live in South America and Colombia. And I would tell you, probably 60% of them would love to come to America, but they need to come here the legal way. They understand that. The reality is for them to pay drug cartel coyotes, to smuggle them across the border is insane for them, right? They, they need to get visas, ask, ask, follow the right process, and we let a million people into our country that way. So it's not like we're not letting people in. We let a million people in the legal way, but we cannot allow this illegal way. And that is a compassionate thing for, for people from South America to have a compassionate process. The, the idea that they would take all their money and pay these ruthless, I mean ruthless drug cartel members, uh, to get him across the border is not what any sane 
civilization would do. And we just got to put an end to it and stop putting up with uh, leaders that allow this to happen. You know, I, I, I think sometimes that the people who are most outraged, you know, people like to criticize, you know, people like me um, for being against illegal immigration, saying that I'm racist because I'm a racist white guy. I think that the people who are most outraged about illegal immigrants coming, particularly from, you know, Hispanic countries like Mexico or Central American regions, South American regions, are people like you. People who are of Hispanic or Latino, Latino descent who are here the right way. If you crossed the border the right way, waited for the paperwork, waited for your invitation and did it the right way. And then you see a whole bunch of other people just jump in the line and doing it illegally. It, 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 it's got to make people like you angrier than it does just a you know a, a, an American born and bred citizen like me. Absolutely. I mean, you don't reward people uh, who do bad bad things. You don't reward people and give them uh, something because they did the wrong things. The reality is, I feel this way because I love people from South America, literally, not just figuratively. Of course you do. And, yeah. and, and you you want them to come here the right way. You don't want them subjected to beatings and rapings that these drug coyotes do. I mean, these these guys throw little kids off train as a, as a contest to see who can launch them faster and further on a train. That is that is showing hatred and total disregard for Hispanic lives. The reality is uh, all they've got on the left is this idea of racism. And I, they, they've told me that I hate Hispanics and South Americans, and, you know, it's ridiculous. <laughs> it's a huge portion of my own family. Now, there are a couple cousins, Bob, that are on the bubble. They're not uh, that great, but... but for the most part, that's not true, and we just have to call them out on their nonsense. No, no, no doubt about. It. You know, I'm glad you brought up what you just did about the way that you're being treated because it's a humanitarian situation. I want to read a quote from Robert F. Kennedy Jr., as you know, who's trying to challenge Biden for uh, the Democrat nomination for uh, for 2024. He tweeted um, day before yesterday: "Is it possible to be pro-immigration and pro-closing the border?" Yes, America should be a haven of freedom and prosperity, open to law-abiding migrants who will contribute to our society. However, immigration must proceed in an orderly, lawful manner. Right now, we have chaos at the border, human trafficking, criminality, intolerable stress on border straits like Texas. It is a humanitarian nightmare. I don't usually agree with very many Democrats, but he's spot on, isn't he? Uh, 100%. And, And the reality is the compassionate thing to do is to have people follow the right way. By the way, one other thing that you probably haven't heard in the news because Biden gives us a uh, all-you-can-eat buffet of disaster every day, <laughs> but uh, they're trying to lower the standards. This is from Bob. They're trying to lower the standards to become a U.S. citizen. Lower the standards. Get rid of the English requirement, the civics requirement. Our standards were already too low. I, I studied for this U.S. citizenship test for years before I did it, thinking it was going to be this insanely hard test. It was too easy. We should be raising the standard to become a U.S. citizen. That this should be a privilege to say, wow, you get to live in America. What a great place to be. And by the way, the proof that we're not a racist country is that Mexico is not asking us to build a wall, right? We're asking to pre- create a wall because so many people want to come here from all over the world. And we wish we could solve the world's problems, but we can't. We have to take care of our own country first. And that's not too much to ask. No, it's not. You know, it's the same thing that, you know, one would ask if uh, if there was a uh, calamity in an emergency in your neighborhood, who are the first people you're going to look out for? And that's going to be the people inside your own walls. You're going to look out for your family first. Then if you can pro- provide assistance to a neighbor, you do it. But you do not sacrifice your own in order to go solve somebody else's problem. That's just reality. So, Bernie, um, 
Uh, I want to talk, last thing here is about just the impact here in Ohio. You want to be senator, and uh, you're going to represent Ohioans. Um, Ohio is not a border state, except for the fact that it is. Like almost all 50 states, uh, well, at least the continue, contiguous 48, um, because there are just too many overwhelming Texas and Arizona and so forth, and they're sending them up. Sometimes it's the Biden administration redistributing the Ill- illegal migrant population. Sometimes it's Governor Greg Abbott, and he's drawing heat from Eric Adams and others for sending uh, uh, you know, busloads of illegals that they cannot possibly care for down there up into other parts of the country, including Ohio. Can you talk about the impact this will have on us right here in our state as you try to represent us in the United States Senate? Well, it's not only the crime, because, and by the way, the neighborhoods that are affected are not rich communities. It's not places where Sherrod Brown lives, by the way. It's, it's, uh, it's primarily immigrant communities, lower-income communities that are massively affected by this. Uh, the second thing is, look at the drugs, right? So they traffic humans in a surge way in one border crossing, knowing that the, the resources have diverted from the other one, and then they bring drugs across that place. And look at what's happening in Ohio. I was in, I was in uh, 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 Galea County yesterday in Gallipolis. This is a, a community that's been ravaged by the uh, fentanyl crisis. These chemicals are coming from China to the Mexican drug cartels with the exact intent of killing American youth. Imagine that we allow that to happen, right? Again, we have to get back to common sense. Uh, Bob, these things should not be controversial. Uh, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta solve these problems in a serious way and stop with this uh, name calling of nonsense. Uh, it's clear what the agenda is on the other side. Our agenda is going to be to put America first and restore our borders and get our country back. Bernie Moreno wants to be senator. Uh, he's running again. Well, he's running in the uh, Republican primary. There's one opponent so far. That's Matt Dolan. He wants to take out Sherrod Brown, and I can tell you right now, so do I. Bernie Moreno, thank you for paying such close attention to this. I know it's very important to you as a legal immigrant to this country whose family did things the right way. You're a great spokesperson for, for legal immigration and an opponent of illegal immigration. Thank you so much, Bernie. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Bob. You got it. 11.25, let's take a time out, come right back. We're guest-free the rest of the way. I will have that Kennedy little uh, laugher for you, but I have more, too. Always Right Radio right after this. Okay, 1128. We have uh, opportunities now in the uh, remainder of the show to hear from you on a free-for-all Friday. If you want to respond to what you just heard from Bernie Marino, or if you want to talk about uh, anything else that we've discussed today or not, that's the nature of free-for-all Friday. But I do have a short version of the Kennedy clip that I teased you with before. Let me see if I can play this for you now. This is Senator John Kennedy questioning... um, Deputy Energy Secretary David Turk during a Senate Appropriations Subcommittee hearing. Listen to this one. Why can we not hear it? Hmm. Well, that's alarming. Oh, there it is. You know, when you try to play a clip from an online source, there's like six different mute buttons on the video itself, on the computer itself, and on a board. Never mind. Right now. Maybe I'm not being clear. If we spent $50 trillion to become carbon neutral by 2050 in the United States of America, how, 
how much is that going to reduce world temperatures? This is a global problem. So we need to reduce our emissions and we need to do everything we can. How much, if we do our part, countries. is it going to reduce so world temperatures? So we're 13 percent of global emissions. You don't know, right do you? You don't know, do you? You can do the math. We need to. You don't know, do you, Mr. Secretary? <laughs> so we're 13 percent of. If you know, why won't you we tell went, me? If we went to zero, that would be 13 percent. You don't know, do you? You just want us to spend 50 trillion dollars, and you don't have the slightest idea whether it's going to reduce world temperatures. Now I'm all for carbon neutrality, but you're the deputy secretary of the Department of Energy, and you're advocating we spend trillions of dollars to seek carbon neutrality, and you can't, and this isn't your money or my money, it's taxpayer money, and you can't tell me how much it's going to lower world temperatures? There, or you won't tell me? You know, but you won't? In my heart of hearts, there is no way the world gets its act together on climate change unless the U.S. leads. Tell me how much it's the going US to reduce. You, you can't tell me. Either that or you won't. This is one of the greatest exposures of the gangrene grift that I've ever heard, that I've ever heard. That was an abbreviated version because I had to do it here before the bottom of the hour. The fuller version includes much more detail about how full of you-know-what the Biden administration is and the entire gangrene movement in the United States and abroad by way of the United Nations. I I swear to you, this is the biggest theft of American wealth and American prosperity, and it's happening at a global scale with the willing assistance of our presidential administration, or maybe better known as a regime. We'll be back. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by KeepingMedicareSimple.com and The Floor King. So you're, you're, you're going to want to hear this one. And when you do, you're going to wish you hadn't heard this one. Kettering Fairmont High School, Kettering, Ohio, Dayton area. Coming soon to schools near you. The erasure of prom king and prom queen titles. Coming soon, prom persons. This has got to be the only way this ends, considering what just happened at Kettering Fairmont, in which a boy was named prom queen and a girl was named prom king. What? That's not a, that's not a misspeak on my part. That is literally what happened here. Listen made history by crowning two LGBTQ plus students, seniors Deshaun Conley and Rose Green, as prom king and queen. Well, now the Board of Education is hearing from residents in the community who want to prevent something similar from happening again. Two News reporter Seth Bird was at tonight's school board meeting and the protest beforehand where people came together to support the teens. Even when I was given the crown and I put on my head, uh, there's a lot of boos in the crowd. I didn't hear them. I only heard the congratulating, which uh, I was very thankful for. Despite support from peers, Conley and non-binary senior Rose Green received negative feedback online. It was hurtful to Conley, and it took her time to heal. It's very demeaning, and it takes a lot for an individual to be able to bring themselves back to who they are and believing in themselves and being 
fully confident and not letting things like that pull them out of who they are as a person. For as many haters, there was plenty of support as seen at a rally before the Board of Education meeting. Absolutely, every kid should have the opportunity to be prom king, prom queen, anything they want to be. So I support the, the school and the, the students voting for who they want to be prom queen and king. Well, I love that the community is here backing up these kids and some kids are here as well, speaking out for what they believe in and supporting their friends and their family here. Inside the meeting, some community members shared a different opinion. For Joe Hoverholzer, he believes prom king and queen should be a biological male and female. The last few years, throughout all of history in the world, it's kind of been understood. So I, uh, you know, so for whatever reason, the last few years, it's uh, it's been been questioned, and uh, I just don't think that's a good thing for society. The Kettering City Schools Board of Education has no intention of taking any action, as they typically let student council handle the prom event. In Kettering, Seth Bird at Two News. <sighs> Anybody should be allowed to be anything they want. What don't you understand? Anybody should be able to be a prom king if that's what they want to be, or a prom queen if that's what they want to be. It doesn't have to be boy and girl. There's no way this ends without an elimination of prom king and queen. There's no way. It's going to be prom persons. Prom person one and prom person two. Whatever they are or whatever they, they identify as. Now, having said that, I'm going to wrap, you, wrap this uh, program with this one. Apparently, you can identify as whatever you want to believe, want to identify as, and be taken seriously, and be considered to be that which you identify as, unless, of course, it's racial. University of California, Berkeley, one of the most famous left-wing institutions in America, is facing a firestorm of controversy after one of its academic professors, Elizabeth Hoover, um, admitted she's been mistaken for all of these years about her racial background. Yesterday, no, I'm sorry, on Monday she apologized for being a white person. She said, I'm so sorry that I'm a white person when I thought that I was a native person my whole life. Hoover, this is Elizabeth Warren 2.0, Hoover, an Ivy League-educated expert on environmental health and food justice in Native American communities, further apologized for causing harm by uncritically living an identity based on family stories without seeking a documented connection to those communities. She said, I have negatively impacted people emotionally and culturally for this hurt I have caused. I am deeply sorry. She went on to say, she does not plan to resign, despite calls for her to do so. In a statement, she talked about how family lore once described that she was of mixed European and Native American ancestry. This week, she updated her identity statement by posting the letter of apology and accountability, saying that she realized, quote, the original statement I put forward in October 2022 in an effort to explain my situation ultimately caused more harm. She then went on to say, Quote, um, uh, hold on now, I lost that quote. I'm going to have to paraphrase it because I, my, my screen refreshed at just the wrong time. But what she said was, is, I apologize for identifying as something that I was not. Well, wait a second. Haven't we been told by people at her university at Berkeley and leftists all across this country that you are what you identify as? Why would you apologize for what you felt like? 
If one person who is male can feel like they're female, and we can be told you must accept them as female, then a person who says, I feel like I'm Native American, must be accepted as Native American, right? Somebody somebody explained the difference to me. If transgenderism can be a real thing, and by the way, it cannot, then transracialism ought to be just as real. Yesterday we talked about transableism, where people are disabling themselves because they feel in their hearts and in their minds that their bodies really shouldn't be fully healthy. They're amputating limbs. They're, they're having their eyes, uh, I won't say removed, but they're becoming blinded, surgically blinded, because they felt like that's what they should be. If you are transgender, you ought to be able to be transracial, ought to be able to be transable. But the reality is, if you say you're transracial, you're mocked and you must apologize, like this woman did. But transgenders get to continue completely celebrated. It's just a, it's just a, I said this before and I'll say it again. If history books are still allowed to be written in the future, when history records this particular period in humankind time, and particularly in American time, it will not speak highly of us. That's it for today. Thanks to my guests, J.D. Vance, Jonathan Broadbent, Bernie Marino. Thanks to my team, Johnny and Marcy and Marianne. Thanks to you for listening. Be well, be safe, have a great weekend. Stay free. See you next week. Bye-bye. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.